Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. When Angie and I were dating, we did the long distance thing for about 18 months. And this was, this was back in the day before you kids who do long distance, you know, had FaceTime and all of those things. No, no, no. We had calling cards that you had to buy at Sam's, um, which are relics of a bygone era. This is barely before the time of cell phones. And so during the spring break of the year that we were apart from one another, Angie came down to visit. And when she came down to visit, she came with a good friend of hers named Sarah. And one of the families at the church that I was working at at the time invited us all over for dinner. They said, we're going to cook a big Cuban feast. It's going to be awesome. You'll love it. We want to get to know Angie. And so they invite us over. And so they did the polite thing, uh, which was as dinner was ready, they sort of were serving it buffet style. And they allowed Angie and Sarah to go first. The guests of honor can get the best of the food. And it was a spread. Black beans, yellow rice, moho pork, there was plantains, I mean, all the fixings, the whole nine yards. Beautiful, gorgeous Cuban meal. And so we all walked through the line, and then we went and sat in the dining room. And as soon as we all sat down, we started laughing, or at least everybody but Angie and her friend Sarah did. Because as we looked at our plates, you could see that these plates were set up very differently. All of the plates of the people who were from Tampa, the food was served in a typical Cuban fashion. It was all stacked on top of itself, right? And you had your rice at the bottom, then your beans, then your pork, then you put the onions, you know, it was all sort of jumbled up together. And then as you looked at Angie and Sarah's plates, it was kind of Midwestern. You had some rice over here. You had some pork over here. A little bit of the plantains over here, and then a small pile of raw on- onions that they sort of put in the middle of the plate because they weren't quite sure what to do with those, but they felt rude to turn them down. And we all sort of laughed. We explained, oh, oh, it's okay. Just do this. Stir your plate up. We prayed for the food. We had a great meal. Everything went on. But Angie and her friend had never, they hadn't been raised to know that that's kind of the way you eat Cuban food. You mix it all up together and you get all of those brilliant flavors we love. But they, they didn't know that because they weren't raised in that way. They had to learn, and in this case, they had to learn by experience the hard way that this is how it goes. One of the metaphors that permeates the book of Proverbs, that kind of keeps coming up again and again, is, is the metaphor of parent and child of a mom or a dad, usually uh, Solomon, because he's writing this, telling his son, here's how you do it. That this is like a parent teaching things to their children. And if you are a parent, you know that what we're teaching our children, what we're going for is not factoids. We're not trying to create little Jeopardy champions. Would be a nice perk. Um, Could use some residuals off of that with these kids. But no, we're trying to teach them skills, as well, not just brute ideas, trying to teach them how to live their life. So the toddler that keeps asking you, why, why, why? You don't just want to tell him like, why? But you're teaching him how to learn how to think. You're teaching him what does this mean for your real life when they keep asking you why? And the whys just keep coming. I think the best way to illustrate this is when your kid is a baby, 
you have to brush their teeth for them. You just do it. And when they get a little bit older, they're able to brush their own teeth. But they're probably able to brush their own teeth before that day that you have to teach them. Now look, this is why you brush your teeth. You don't want to go see the dentist. Nobody wants to go see a dentist. Even though we have dentists here, we love them, they're wonderful people, but nobody wants to go to the dentist. So kids, brush your teeth. Do it. Don't just teach them the skill, the, the how-to, you're teaching their understanding. This is what Proverbs is all about. That tandem of knowledge and skillful living. The intersection of those two things. And we don't want to prioritize one of those over the other, knowledge or skillful living. It's not just, I think, therefore I am. That ain't it. But it's also not that our lives are just composed of the things that we do. That's not it either. Wisdom and how we understand life and the world is those things brought together. It is seeing the unseen world of God's kingdom and aligning our actions with that world. See, I, I said that definition last week. And I'm going to keep saying it. And it's us understanding what does the kingdom of God look like because I can't see it with my eyes. And then it is learning to use that and, and make that real in our life. And that's something we should want. That's something we should choose to pursue, but so often we do not. And we leave so much wisdom on the table because we don't make it a priority. We prioritize other things or other things sneak up, whatever it is, but we leave this wisdom on the table. And what happens is that opens us up to, to falling prey to so many of the schemes of the enemy. We're actually going to see this morning how learning and, and becoming apprenticed to wisdom protects us. And so we're going to read Psalm, I'm sorry, Psalm, Proverbs chapter two this morning. And one of the things I want you to see, even before I start to read it, is that this is actually one long sentence. The whole chapter is a single sentence. So it's almost like Solomon sort of grabbed the mic and sort of, you know, you hear him sort of suck in a big breath and then just launches into this entire passage. One sentence all the way through. Doesn't quite come out that way in English, but if you would, stand up with me and let us hear this one sentence that Solomon gives us about wisdom. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the evil, uh, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of righteousness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. 
So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down into death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of of the righteous. For the upright will inherit the land and those with integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 3,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. Solomon's one big sentence here on wisdom kind of takes us through all of the themes that we sort of see in Proverbs. It wraps all of it together. He shows us how we have to work for wisdom, but then how wisdom begins to work for us. He shows us how we are the ones that need to to seek it. We don't just passively fall into wisdom. There's nobody that's going to become wise by just sort of osmosis. You can't back your way into wisdom. It's something that you have to actively pursue. And Solomon gives us a couple metaphors on how we do that. And one of the ones that he uses is is the metaphor of seeking treasure. He uses it three different ways when he sort of talks about treasuring and, and silver. And on the one hand, this is a brilliant way for us to understand how we pursue wisdom. You've never seen a movie where somebody gets a treasure map and goes, oh, a map to a treasure? That's neat. And like sets it on the counter and walks away. Or if you did, the movie was making fun of the fact that no, whenever somebody in a movie gets a treasure map, what do they do? They immediately go searching for the treasure. Indiana Jones books his flight. The Goonies do Goonie things and they never say die. They're seeking after the treasure. It's like what the whole trope of those movies are. Nicolas Cage is going to go looking for the back of the Constitution. They are seeking it actively. That's the same way we need to pursue wisdom. We need to pursue wisdom as if we are looking for the thing that is going to absolutely change our life. But there's something else that's going on with these words here, this idea of treasure. Because let's not forget that this is Solomon who is writing this. And Solomon is the son of David. David who wrote the bulk of the book of Psalms. And one of the things in all of the Hebrew poetry that we have that is written down for us in the Bible is that whenever we see the word treasure, it is almost always tied to the idea of the word of God. It is always tied to God's commandments and what God has told us. And so David ties it. He says we are to treasure up God's word in our heart throughout the Psalms. And you can just imagine David as he's kind of writing these Psalms, walking around the palace, humming and whistling, and Solomon hearing David talking and singing about treasuring up God's word in your heart. And so this passage begins with all of these ifs because he's encouraging us to do it. And all of these that he's encouraging us to do, the beginning of seeking wisdom, how we begin to do it is we need to, first of all, actively seek after it. But second of all, we have to realize that it is based on something outside of ourselves, that it's based on God's word. Our search for wisdom begins with our devotion to the scriptures. God's word is our source book. And Solomon tells us to seek that wisdom out and use the scripture as our guide. 
And so if you caught it, he had at the first four verses, three out of the four begin with if, or if's like really early in them. If you'll do this, if you'll do this, if you'll do this. And then when you get to verse five is when you get to the then. That's when we get to the thens. What's gonna happen? We seek wisdom like a treasure. We use God's word as the map to find it. And then we will begin to understand the fear of the Lord. That understanding that we are given is not informational. It's transformational. What we're going for is not just that, oh, okay, I need to read my Bible more. So now I know who Nehemiah is. I need to read my Bible so when someone asks me a really good Bible trivia question, I know the answer. Oh, yes. I know that the shortest man in the Bible was Bildad the shoe height. That's not what we're going for. You'll get that later, I'm sure. <laughs> That's not what we're going for. We're not looking for just taking in information, but we're doing something even more because this wisdom that is granted to us is granted to us as a gift. Which is, which is an oddity, right? He says, you need to seek it. You need to seek after it like it's treasure. But then he doesn't say, and when you seek after it like a treasure, you will be rewarded with it. No, the language he gives again and again and again is that of a gift. We seek after wisdom, but God is the one who gives it to us as a gracious gift. It's not performative. It's not mechanical. It's not, I seek after wisdom. God gives me wisdom. Next thing, insert this here. No, no, no. It is always a gift of grace. And he uses the word understanding and knowledge as synonyms for it. And I think knowledge is particularly pertinent because this is the same word that, that the writers of the Bible would use when they wanted to um, uh, skirt around or be gentle with their terminology of, of intimacy. Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore a son. Solomon knew Bathsheba. This knowledge in the uh, Old Testament is not just factoids. It is an intimate, relational thing, and that's what wisdom is. It is relational intimacy with God that grows as we pursue him through his word. And that sort of intimate knowledge is life-changing. And so we need to seek wisdom and God gives us wisdom as a gracious gift. And it begins to change us because it is real and it changes the way that we understand the world. We begin to see that the things that we can use our eyes to perceive are not the ultimate reality. That ultimate reality is something that we actually cannot see with our eyes, but we have to understand through wisdom. And as we begin to see the world around us in this way, wisdom begins to guard and protect us. And it, that's what Solomon goes to next. He begins to show the way that God protects us from something specific or, or more accurately, someone specific. Solomon says, as we seek wisdom, and then God graciously grants it to us as we grow in the being able to see the invisible reality of God's kingdom. As we begin to get all that down, wisdom begins to protect us and it protects us from, from two sorts of people. He uses two metaphors here. The first is a group of men, a sort of gang of people um, who are walking down the paths of unrighteousness. And then a woman who has forsaken her marriage covenant. Those are the two metaphors he uses. And this isn't Solomon just kind of going, yeah, don't, don't do violence 
and, and don't sleep with people that aren't your spouse. That's not what Solomon is getting at. What he's doing here is he's using this to sort of fill in for any sort of folly, any sort of lack of wisdom that we might do because he uses men and women. He uses a single person and a group of people. This is sort of filling in for all of the different ways folly can come after us. He wants us to see that, that we are called to a different way a different path of life, not the path of unrighteous men, as it says in here. This is not what we are called to. It is the deeds that inform our destiny. The things that we do shape us and shape our future, which is why in both of these cases, the case of the men and the woman, it talks about them going down a different path. And Solomon is setting before us, he says, one of the ways that God protects us is putting us on a different path, a different way, a different way of going about things. And so he says, don't hang out with the wrong sorts of people. Paul says it uh, in 1 Corinthians, bad manners corrupt good morals. This idea that the people that we spend the most time with have the most shaping influence on our life. And wisdom helps us begin to discern what does that mean? Who should I be investing in? Who should I allow to be investing in me? Wisdom's going to guard and protect us. As we seek it, it is going to be able to show us the way that we can find people to influence us towards God's kingdom and his glory. And it doesn't just protect us from the folly of the crowd that's going in the way of evil, but the folly of illicit pleasure as well. Wisdom helps us to discern the rightful place of pleasure. You see, we were all created. We all have inside of us because of the image of God, this desire and this design for pleasure. We were meant to be with God in the garden, experiencing the pleasure of his presence forevermore. And then Adam and Eve took matters in their own hands. And ever since, one of the things that has been fundamentally broken about us as humans is that our desires are disordered. We have a tendency to over-desire pleasure. And that's happening in all of our lives today. And this doesn't just have to be about sexual intimacy. This could be about so many other things. This is where gluttony comes from. This is where the lust for power comes from. This is where a deep-seated desire of control, we are over-desiring our own pleasure. But Solomon shows us that that never delivers it never delivers on what he promises. And the, the metaphor, the picture that he paints is this house being swallowed up into the ground. A sinkhole that sort of drops this house into the underworld and makes us a shadow of ourself. He's kind of drawing on the language, what the Greeks called the shades. The Greeks believed when you died, you sort of turned into this ghost version of yourself, but it was dark and almost unrecognizable. What Solomon's saying is that's, that's what seeking pleasure apart from wisdom does to us. Is it makes us, it hollows us out. It makes us less of who we are, but instead wisdom calls us to something else. Wisdom is going to protect us from over-desiring pleasure. And in doing so, it allows us to be fully ourselves, not a shade of who we used to be. And so Solomon, in this one big sentence, this whole thing's one sentence. I know I've said that several times, but I think it's helpful for us to remember that he's just saying one thing. 
if you seek wisdom and then God grants it by his grace and that wisdom begins to protect you and shield you from the paths that we shouldn't be going down, it's going to set you on the right paths. And he concludes this whole sentence by talking about God's covenant with his people because he says that they're going to be able to stay in the land. This was code language. This was shorthand for God's covenant in the Old Testament because what did, among other things, God promise Abraham? That Abraham's family would be given the land. And Moses was to bring the people out of Israel and take them to the promised land. And David, when he became king, one of the things that he did was he finished conquering the land. And when God decided to prosecute a covenant uh, trial against his people, the result of that trial of their unfaithfulness was that they were taken away from the land. And then when God returned them from exile, he brought them back to the land. The land again and again and again, as we read the Old Testament, is a part of God's covenant with his people. And so what, we're, what he's saying to us, what he's saying to his son and now to you and to me is that wisdom's end goal is covenant faithfulness. Wisdom's apex is not to glorify ourselves as smart and understanding. Wisdom is not a means to our own glory, but a means to God's glory. It shows him to be steadfast in love and never failing. It makes him the one who protects us from folly, not us. And what's interesting about this, what's interesting about this way that Solomon lays out for us to seek wisdom and be given it is that Jesus experienced this very thing. One of the sort of strangest little verses that Luke drops at the end of Luke chapter two is, and oh, by the way, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, uh, and um, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature um, before God and men. What's that about? Is it just, is just, did Luke just decide, us that, decide to tell us that Jesus got taller? No, no. He was telling us that this growing up, this acquiring of wisdom that we're being called to is something Jesus himself did. It's something Jesus himself lived through. He is not a high priest that doesn't understand this path or doesn't understand what it's like to walk it, but instead... He did it himself. This is not a case of rules for thee, but not for me. No, Jesus knows that the hard walk of seeking wisdom, of receiving it by grace, of seeing it protect us and seeing us shaped into covenant faithfulness, he knows that because he did that. He took on flesh and pursued wisdom. He learned the path of righteousness so let's follow him. Let's seek him. And in seeking him, may we be changed by the wisdom that God gives us. Let's pray.